even if you know that they're talking to you because you're paying them, when you feel a bit lonely or maybe when you're having a bad day, like talking to somebody just makes you feel good. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, where I sit down weekly with guests from all around the world to chat culture, dating, and human experiences. So join in and let's break down those barriers together. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today I'm going to chat with Yuta from the YouTube channel That Japanese Man Yuta. Uh, Yuta and I met years ago in Toronto while he was traveling around North America, and his channel has now over 1 million subscribers, and it is all about the Japanese culture and language. So, welcome, Yuta. I'm super excited to chat to you about one of the most Fascinating and unique cultures out there. And yeah, get your perspective on it. Hey, good to see you again. Good to see you as well. And yeah, how, how long has it been since we, we saw each other? It's, it's been many years. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely been over four or five, four years. No, six it years. Was, it was pre COVID for it sure. Was definitely. Yeah, and then it just makes you think, like, how long have we been doing YouTube for? It's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still remember when you didn't have so many subscribers. <laughs> I know. I, I remember when you had less subscribers as well. It's, yeah, it's the, it's the, the work involved in running the YouTube channel is, it's, an, it's another podcast. You're someone that's very interesting because you travel a lot. Like, I think when we met, you, How long were you traveling for at that time? Was it just continuous for a couple of years? Yeah, it was more or less continuous. Yeah, for a few years. But I, I've been to like 40 countries. So yeah, I'm very well traveled. And what is your favorite country? Oh, that's a very <laughs> hard question to answer. <laughs> I, like, But... I, like tro I like tropical countries, you know. Same. Same, 100%. People say, like, I love Iceland. I enjoyed it so much. It's so beautiful. I'm like, it's too cold. <laughs> it's too cold for me. Yeah. Anything that's too cold, I'm like, I can't fully appreciate the beauty of it. But it, yeah. it's interesting as well when you travel that long because the, the people I love interviewing the most are the people that really have been all around because it kind of puts more of an awareness of where you come from and your culture. And then you kind of get to think, why is my culture like this? Or Maybe in your case, you always think like, how Japanese am I? You know, do you, does that come to your mind? Yeah, but what happens when you travel so much is you kind of like adjust to each local culture. So you start forgetting how things are in your own country sometimes. So if, I, if, I, if I'm in Japan, I have to kind of readjust to how Japanese people, you know, what they do and how things are. So... That's quite interesting. Do you sometimes act in a certain way and then you think, oh my God, that was so Japanese of me? Like maybe like the indirect way of speaking or, you know, some cultures are very, very straightforward, like very direct. And how, how does that make you feel? No, actually, so I have my technique to, uh, in terms of directness or indirectness. Right? Because sometimes I just go to a random country and start dating. And I have no idea what, you know, people, how people are. So what I do is I start, I start from indirect, 
indirect communication. And if that doesn't work, I kind of like to make it less indirect and more direct until they get it. Because indirect communication is less likely to be uh, offensive, you know, rude. If you start with like a direct communication, you can come across come across as pretty like a rude. So I think I feel like it's always safer to start with indirect communication. And then you just, you know, increase your directness if it doesn't if it doesn't work. So for anyone that doesn't really understand the idea of indirectness, how would that go? Let's say if you're interested in a woman, like you wouldn't say to her, I, you know, I, I find you attractive. Let's go out. Like you kind of go around it. Um, well, uh, the easiest way of is just to, you know, ask her out. You can just say, oh, hey, hey, let's grab coffee or something like that. And I think that works pretty well in many different cultures. It certainly works in Japan and certainly works in Canada, I suppose. When you come back to Japan, um, you must kind of be faced with this reverse culture shock. Um, you know, seeing like how people live, how people interact. What is something that you find that, first of all, you love about the Japanese culture? Well, let's start with a positive. Uh, there's many things I like about Japanese culture, but one of the things is how we have so much, like uh, we have so many uh, varieties of things. Just going to a convenience store, you have just so many different types of snacks, drinks, and everything. So that's very fun. And also, like I like the how Japanese people are pretty good at quality control. Just buying some random stuff from a supermarket, uh, appliances, and everything. I think Japan has a top-notch quality control. So that's also interesting. And I would also say we can be very creative. So when it comes to like just about anything, uh, products, you know, uh, anime, manga, things like that. We can be very creative. So we have a lot of uh, different types of entertainment, you know. So you, I, I never, I never get bored when I'm in Japan. Are you from Tokyo originally, or where are you from? I'm actually not from Tokyo. I'm from uh, Western Japan. But uh Tokyo, the Tokyo area is the longest I've lived. Okay, and Tokyo is, yeah, Tokyo is definitely, like, if you're looking for anything you want to find, I think Tokyo is the best place to go. Yeah, I, it's, a, I it's, like... it's very it's very fun to be in Tokyo, constant entertainment, mm -hmm. so much stuff to do. Is there any culture shock or, let's say, reverse culture shock that you're faced with when you come back to Japan? It's not so much a culture shock, but like a readjustment. So one of the things I noticed about dating in Japan is gender roles, how men and women are supposed to act in terms of dating. For example, uh, in general in Japan, men are supposed to make plans when you want to go on a date. It's more like a, and you, it's more like you're, it's kind of like you're pitching a dating idea to a woman and they might judge you based on your idea because it's not like you can just do, you know, you can just do whatever you want. You have to correctly guess what the what the woman likes, and you have to come up with come up uh, come up with the plan accordingly. And how do you guess what she likes? So you can ask questions, you know, 
it's not as hard as it may sound. You can just ask her, oh, what kind of food do you like? You know, what kind of places do you want to go? Like things like that, you know, you can ask her interests, hobbies, things like that. So yeah, it's not that hard, but. And then uh, based on that, basically you have to come up with a plan that she will enjoy. Yeah, and it's better, generally speaking, it's better to come up with uh, a plan because sometimes, you know, you can just go, you can just meet somewhere and you, you can just be spontaneous, right? And I actually have this uh, uh, episode from many years ago in Japan. So I, I know, uh, asked this girl out and when we, uh, we went on a date, and we were planning to eat at a Thai restaurant, but I wasn't very hungry. So I, I suggested, oh, you know, I'm not super hungry, so maybe we can just take a walk around. And she looked quite surprised because we have planned, you know, uh, our plan was to eat at the Thai restaurant. And now I'm saying a different thing. So when I saw her reaction, I was like, okay, I, I'm in Japan. Maybe I just have to follow our plan. So that was pretty interesting. I, that's such a huge difference when it comes to a lot of the foreign girls, right? Because they're just like, okay, well, let's walk, right? It's like spontaneous. And then we can see what happens. But Japanese girls, they really plan for the date, I suppose. Yeah, of course, there are individual differences. So not every Japanese woman is like that. But yeah, there's this definitely this tendency that we prefer uh, to stick with our plan. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, times are changing as well, but the, the fact that the man is still like the leader, he's still the one that's asserting himself and planning the dates. Is that still relevant nowadays? Yeah, at least in the beginning of the, you know, the whole dating stage, because when you actually get to know somebody, the, the dynamics can change. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, at least in the beginning, it's, uh, it is mostly the case that men would come up with, come up with the plan. And when it comes to paying, who pays in Japan? So paying in, is interesting. There's no actually strict rule. So it can be, you know, it can be anything, but there's something that we do in Japan, which is like men pay a little more. So for example, we go eat at a restaurant and uh, yeah, it's about, it's like 5,000 yen, which is about like maybe $40, something like that. I might just pay like, I might just pay like 4,000 yen and I let the girl pay like 1,000 yen. So it's not an even split, but it's kind of a split. And that's something that a lot of people do in Japan. Interesting. And why is it that? Because it's, I, I, you either see like, okay, let's go half and half, let's go Dutch, or the man covers the whole bill. But why just give her like, you know, a thousand yen to cover when it doesn't really make a much difference to your pocket? I think my guess is it's about being a little considerate because if the guy pays everything, maybe the woman feel a little, it's like, uh, it's like she has to do something in return. So mm -hmm. to not make the women feel obligated to do things, 
maybe you 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 could let her pay just a little bit. Mm, okay, interesting. So it's it's the fact that she she doesn't want to feel like she owes you something if you cover yeah. the whole bill. Like you're so macho and you're so um, almost with like some expectation. Um, when it comes to meeting people in Japan, how how easy is it? Uh, it's it's definitely more difficult than many other countries, especially in the Tokyo area, because the thing about Tokyo people, which this doesn't necessarily apply to people from different uh, prefectures and regions in Japan, but especially people in Tokyo, a lot of them are very uncomfortable with uh, talking to strangers. They're very mm -hmm. cautious and that all obviously makes it difficult to meet new people right and now we have apps you know dating apps in japan but it took us a very long time like it took japanese people a very long time to be comfortable enough to use dating apps why so why is that because a lot of them are afraid of meeting strangers, especially complete strangers. They have no idea who they are. So it, even like dating apps in Japan, like Japanese dating apps are very different from like American dating apps. Uh, Japanese dating apps tend to have much more information. For example, Tinder is a good example. Like Tinder started out as just, you know, just photos. And if, if people write a bio, they're not going to write a lot. So you have very little information other than photos. And a lot of people are comfortable using it. But Japanese dating apps are very different because when you create your profile, you they ask uh, you for a lot of information like uh, your height, your weight, and often your income as well, which, which I think is pretty interesting. <laughs> your hobbies things like that. There's so much information on, on, on Japanese dating apps. So that's interesting because those are the things that are considered important. Like, you know, in Canada, like height is mentioned and maybe your occupation, but you can be kind of, you know, you don't have to be very concrete about what you do. You can just say, I am an entrepreneur, right? Like, I don't know how much money you make as an entrepreneur, right? But it's interesting that in Japan, that's like, that's important, obviously, how much a man makes. I, of course, it's important in many places around the world. But to put that into an app, like a woman is going to judge a man based on that right away. Yeah. So, well, you know, there's a word, uh, there's this expression, high context culture and low context culture, meaning in high context culture, uh, things tend, tend to be implicit but people prefer having a lot of background information because our communication is indirect. So you need more context to understand things. So that's why on dating apps, Japanese people prefer having a lot of information. So they are more interested in marriage than dating. And a lot of them are pretty upfront about it. For example, even on Tinder, you know, lots of, a lot of people write that, oh, I'm looking for a marriage partner. That's and you so know, you rare. know, you know, you know so, match dot, yeah. you know, match.com, mm -hmm. right? So at some point, so there's, they have local versions. So the, the, the American version, Canadian version, are 
very different from the Japanese version. At some point, I'm not sure if it if that's the case, you know, right now. But Mar Ma uh, Match.com in Japan they emphasize marriage. It's written on their like a uh, uh, top page, like you know, it's for people who are who want to get married. So culturally, it seems like more Japanese people are interested in marriage, and they to be they tend to be very upfront about it. So if you go out with a woman, would she upfront tell you, look, I'm looking for something very serious that can lead to a marriage? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, you don't have to, like, they don't even have to tell you because they write it on their profile. So you already know. Mm, okay. So you're basically dating seriously from that point on. Because in North America, it's very rare, at least from the woman's side, it's very rare to find a man who writes marriage, looking for marriage. If, as soon as you see that, you think, what's wrong with him? And and it's not because you don't want the same thing, because, you know, a lot of women, a lot of us uh, do. But it's kind of, it's just so weird, you know, it's so rare to see that, that all of a sudden you think, why did he write that? You know, he could have just written relationship, but marriage is immediately looking for marriage. So that's interesting. And it's especially interesting because I find the Japanese people, they don't exactly come across as the people who are looking for uh, a marriage to me, you know, when I look at like oh, Indians. Really? Yeah. And it's, I think it's because they work so much. And I just think, and I think because there's such a movement towards people just living alone and um, all these artificial dolls and things that you come up with. So what do you think about that? So that's actually a global trend. Even in the States, uh, younger people are less interested in like dating and sex. So I would say Japan is just a little ahead in terms of that <laughs> when it comes to that. So <laughs> I so don't just... see anything specifically Japanese about like younger people uh, being less interested in dating. Mm. But they do say that um, Japan is like currently one of the countries with the lowest birth rate and like a, a highly aging population. They say they sell more diapers, like old people diapers than kid diapers. Uh, what do you think about this? I think maybe we just, uh, we are kind of ahead in terms of like entertainment that you can uh, like consume without interacting with other people in real life. Because I actually, that's, that's interesting because I just saw news that says like China also has a shrinking population and India surpassed when it comes to the population size. China has a shrinking population, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's surprising, right? At some point yes. they have to limit the number of kids, but now they have a shrinking population just like Japan. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I know like the Japanese have this culture of there's a lot of pressure to succeed. Um, and when it comes to like working very long hours and um, I, I was watching a documentary and they said they have, there's a term, there's a Japanese term and it's called death by being tired or death by overworking. Um, I don't know if you know the the term. And it's a very Japanese term because just because of the amount of hours that people work in a day, like the, I think priority is the job, right? It's the job that you have, especially I think for the men. I think so. That thing is very interesting, but in my opinion, it's maybe because Japanese people have the tendency of blaming themselves rather than blaming other people. So 
when things are tough, they tend to like look inside themselves other than just, you know, oh, my company sucks. I, I should just quit. So they might actually pressure themselves or maybe it's because I'm not a good uh, employee. So I think that's one of the reasons why that kind of thing happens. How many hours do Japanese work on average? Do you know these statistics? I haven't checked. I haven't checked lately, so I don't really know. Have Have you ever worked in Japan, or have you always? Yeah, yeah, I have. But you know, my company was pretty relaxed, so I didn't have to work long hours, fortunately. But it's also because I I picked that kind of company where I didn't have to work myself to death. Yeah, and yeah, that that's interesting. That like so many people are under this pressure to highly perform you know and work from morning until night and then also um apparently even when they're given the vacations a lot of them don't take the vacations there's a huge percentage i think only four percent of japanese take vacations which is i think so crazy that they still want to keep working that's very cultural that's very true that even if they have paid vacations up to like 20 or 21 days maximum depending on how many hours, how many years you've uh, worked for the company. But a lot of Japanese people feel bad about taking like leaves because they feel like they are being selfish or inconveniencing other people by taking leaves. So that's uh, that's definitely a cultural difference. Mm. Do you feel that in your in your own life? Do you feel like you're a perfectionist when it comes to things or just kind of don't relate to that at all? Me personally, like I, I, I tried to take as many leaves as I could, so I definitely <laughs> didn't feel that way. But even then, it was kind of hard. Why was it hard? Because there were things to do, like tasks. Right? Mm -hmm. Do you do you have a lot of friends that are like, um, are are very much like that, like very career oriented, and they say like, I don't want to be in a relationship. I just want to be alone. That's much easier for me. And I'm obviously talking about Japanese friends. Let me think. Uh, not necessarily. Most many of my like former classmates, you know, Japanese friends I had, many of them are married and have kids actually. So, mm -hmm. do I know somebody who is very career oriented? And mm -hmm. maybe I do, but. Nothing really, nobody really comes into my mind off the top of my head. Okay. And let's talk a bit about, more about dating. Uh, so you've, what would you say you've dated more foreign women or more Japanese women or has it been just a mix of both? Uh, definitely more foreign women than Japanese women. Like even there... when I was in Japan, I tend to uh, date foreign women than Japanese women. Is there a reason for this preference? Supply, su supply and demand. <laughs> what so does that's, that mean? That's how it always works in dating. So like you can be popular with a certain types of people than other types of people. Because if I'm in Japan, I'm just, a, I'm just another Japanese guy. Nothing really stands out. Well, I, I can be a little bit different. I have my own personalities. But if they see me, I'm just another Japanese guy. But I'm a Japanese guy who was speaks English and other languages and who are familiar with other cultures. So if I, for example, if I meet uh, foreign women in Japan, 
she's just another person and I don't really, you know, treat her differently or I don't really have different expectations. So I just, you know, interact with them normally. So of course, these, this kind of Japanese guy is quite rare in Japan. So supply and demand. What is the biggest difference that you find when it comes to dating women from different cultures compared to your own culture? Um, obviously that, you know, the idea of planning the date and that, you know, we've already talked about, um, is there anything else? Let me think because it's more like I deal with people with on a more individual basis. So of course there are cultural differences, but there are also individual differences. And of course, everybody does it, you know, it's not just me, but based on who you are, you change the way you interact with the person, right? So mm -hmm. I just do that with like people from different countries. And so to me, it feels more like I'm just, uh, I'm just adjusting the way I communicate on an individual basis or like rather than just a broad, in a more broad uh, cultural basis mm -hmm. yeah I think you know for me like I've had um I, I don't really think about where I've come from um, unless when I'm when I start dating someone from another country that's when like sometimes when I have a culture shock that I realize a little bit that my culture kind of comes through um so for example I find like cultures show their love languages differently you know um i would say for some like like latin americans are obviously very physical like touch is very important and words of affirmation um i don't know how much you know about the love languages but there's five well everybody knows about, <laughs> about yeah, yeah everybody. Every, everyone <laughs> has read the book um and then when it comes to let's say like the more nordic countries there's less of the emotional and more um, doing acts of service, maybe they're more their love language, like the nice things that you do for each other. So what would you say if you had to pick like a love language for you, what would be your love language? I would say my love language is, or the predominant one is be like a quality time, mm -hmm. which can actually be universal. So quality I've never time, had... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, any problem. And actually, I can be physically affectionate too. So I have no problem in like Latin America. Uh, less about gift giving and acts of service, personally. <laughs> so you don't you don't want to give anything. You just want to spend time with each other and, and touch each yeah, other. Yeah, and you know, I don't feel so like when somebody gives me something, I'm just okay, you know, thanks. And I don't feel like it doesn't make me feel very, very like super, super happy or anything. Of course I'm, I'm happy, but yeah, I don't, some people are like, wow, thank you so much, but I'm not like that. So you don't give it, but you also don't take it. So that that's actually quite, you know, balanced. I don't ask, I, I don't ask, you know, and some, if, if somebody gives me a gift, I would, I would just say, thank you. So there is this, I wouldn't say stereotype because I, I would say there is this based on um, it's a generalization but that Japanese people, they find it really difficult to express the emotions verbally, like saying, I love you. And those kind of big, big words. Um, apparently there's not really even a, people don't say I love you very much, or there's not 
a term for love words? What do you think about that? So first, I love you is a very kind of like language dependent expression. So there's no like a one single translation, you know, to I love you in Japanese. You can say, you can use the word ski or aishiteru, which is more kind of literary. So less people say it. That's something you would, you know, read in a book. So uh, I find uh, saying I love you very cultural. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, from your perspective, that Japanese people don't say I love you. But from a Japanese perspective, like, oh, you know, English speakers say I love you. So they say I love you too different... much. I wouldn't <laughs> say too much, but they say it. Mm -hmm. They say something that we don't typically say. So for Japanese people, it's the English or the other cultures that say I love you. But does that mean that Japanese people don't say I love you? Or is there like, is it just not it's a like thing? It's like what's normal for you, mm. right? Of course, for us, not saying I love you is pretty normal. Some some people say, but on average, that's pretty normal. So, so for us, it's like, oh, you know, uh, English speakers say, you know, things that we don't typically say. So just, you know, what's normal for you. So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, this is quite relative. It's, it's for me, I can relate because, you know, like being Eastern European, we don't really say I love you to our parents that much because it's just kind of assumed that you love them. So when you see American, when you watch American movies and you hear them say, oh, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Every time they hang up the phone, you think, why do you need to tell someone I love you every time you hang up the phone? Like, don't you already know that you feel that for each other? Um, so I, we also find that very odd like but we don't do that mm -hmm. right um so i think for maybe like a japanese culture is just kind of you you feel it that you're together but is it uncomfortable to express it or is it just how would just what how would you characterize that they just don't say it is there any reason that you can think of and obviously when you ask the fish how the water is the fish doesn't know because it's in there right but you've traveled a lot so have you thought about this like why don't japanese people say i love you Besides the fact that it's something like normalized. Well, so I, I'm going to give you an interesting example. So in Japan, uh, when we come home, for example, uh, if you live with somebody and you go to work and you come home, uh, you would say, Tadaima, which can be translate, translated as I'm home. And typically in the traditional Japanese household, we do this, we say it every time. And when we leave the house, we say "ittekimasu," which can be translated uh, as like "I'm leaving." And we say this every single time, every morning. So, from our perspective, like, why don't English speakers say that? It's the same thing. Interesting. Okay. And why do they say "I'm home" and "I'm leaving" every single time? Yeah. Why don't English speakers <laughs> say that every time? It's it's not normal for us. What if you see the person? When, when somebody, for example, some if if a Japanese person starts learning English, they might feel like they have to say it in English too. They don't know how to say it because it's not really the culture, right? So it's kind of a similar thing. So let's say, I, you know, you see this person actually walk in the door. Do they still say it? To say so what like, do you mean? So for example, I'm sitting on the couch and my Japanese husband walks in. And I see him actually coming home. Will he still vocalize it and say, honey, I'm home? 
<laughs> without yeah, if, if, he's, if he's coming from work yeah yeah he would say it i'm home okay yeah yeah so if you don't say that's considered odd like what what happened what's wrong <laughs> so even if he's there but he didn't say i'm home like i'm gonna call the police what happened to my husband <laughs> did he die because <laughs> you say it's... this every day every time when somebody comes home so if you don't say it you 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 will start wondering what you know what's wrong that's super interesting um are there any other like language expressions that are interesting so for example i know this tradition of kokohaku which is i i find very interesting and does that still happen and maybe you can explain what it is for the listeners yeah so kokohaku that can be translated as confession of love and if you watch anime you should be very familiar with it which basically if you like somebody you will tell them that if you like that person and you want to be a boyfriend or girlfriend so that's basically what kokohaku is and on average it happens on the third date and does the sex happen before or after that I'm actually not really sure about that. I think it depends on the, the age, generation, your personality and everything. It can be before and after, but I feel like in general, like it comes after, which means, okay, we're, we're now boyfriend, girlfriend, let's have sex. I see. Yeah. That would make sense that the woman would wait until the man has um, confessed the love. So I think it's the equivalent of the American talk, you know, like having the talk. Uh, when you say, oh, I think we should be boyfriend and girlfriend. Although I think the talk happens much later in the mm -hmm. relation or in the the, the dating process, because mm -hmm. you could be just dating different people at the same time. Um, so I personally don't really like kokohaku. And not everybody, not everybody does it in Japan. It's mm -hmm. like you, you have three dates. How would you know you want to be a boyfriend or girlfriend? So that's what I think. Yeah, that's interesting that they'd say it specifically after, like, as you said, third date or there's like a time period. Is it because maybe the woman is expecting, okay, so is he going to be committing himself to me? Um, or is this just a, what is this? Do you think that's why it happens? So I, I have a theory. So I think it's partly because Japanese people tend to be more comfortable if everybody has a clearly defined role. For example, roles are very important in Japan because it might change the way you speak. Like, are you senior to me or like a junior to me? It's very important. And something that uh, people say about Japan, one of the things uh, is that uh, sometimes Japanese people can act very differently depending, depending on like a, a who they are with, and also which group they are in. For example, in, in school, you play a certain role. You can be a, like, a, oh, you're a funny guy. But in, in another community, so your personality can be very different. And if Japanese people can like kind of like, a, I don't want to say pigeonhole because it sounds not very nice, but uh, if Japanese people know what role you are playing, they tend to be more comfortable. And, interacting with you because they know what to expect so that kind of like a predictability might be important in japanese culture and it also applies uh, to dating so like 
I would I would guess that many people are uncomfortable if they don't know. Oh, are you just a friend or are you uh, my boyfriend or girlfriend? So I think they want to define each person's role uh, pretty early on because of that. Interesting. And let's talk about the the indirectness. Um, I remember we did a video with you years back and that was such an interesting topic of like, I find Japan to be one of the most indirect countries in the world, right? And I don't know if I'm correct with that in, in that. Um, obviously, like the polar opposite being like, I would say like the Netherlands or Israel, they're very, very direct countries. So how would that play out, let's say, if you are potentially dating someone? So for like a foreigner who's dating someone Japanese, a man or a woman, what should they be prepared for? Should they be direct or is that going to be, is that going to scare the person away, do you think? Well, obviously it depends on who you are talking to because some people are more direct than other people, you know. And I tend to be uh, more direct than average Japanese people. But so I have an interesting example, which is about, let's say you go on a date with this guy and maybe you have like three dates. And after three dates, you decided, oh, maybe this guy is not for me, so I'm not going to see him again. What would you do in this situation? After three dates, well, it depends. For example, if he's still messaging me and he wants to see me again, then I will say, look, I just, I, I'm sorry, I didn't really feel that we had a connection. Maybe we're better off as friends. Right, so Japanese, people are much, much less likely to say the thing that you just said, like directly. Hey, you know, I don't feel like we we are you know meant to be each other. So maybe it's better we don't see each other. That kind of direct message, much less likely, you know, it's much less likely that Japanese people say that. Uh, for example, if you are seeing this girl and you go on a date like three times, and if that girl doesn't want to see you anymore, she might not say that directly. She's just replying less and less, and eventually she just disappears. Disappears. So that kind of thing is much more common in Japan. Mm. I don't I think... think I have ever had a Japanese woman directly say that, oh, you know, I, uh, I don't want to see you again. But American-Canadian women, yeah, they've said that to me. I'm like, okay, yeah, I understand. Fair enough. Which do you prefer? Would you say? I think I, I figure out, you know, regardless. So I'm, I'm fine with both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even in Canada, to be honest, we're going the the Japanese way, so to speak, because nowadays there's a whole trend of ghosting each other. I mean, it's it's been going on for years, but if you're not interested, you just phase someone out and then they get the point. And honestly, I've done that as well. Like I can't say I'm always very direct. Um, sometimes I hope that they, they get the point, but if they don't, then I tell them. Um, but I was in a relationship with a Dutch guy and he was very direct. And if he didn't like something, he would just say, I think this is bad. Like that was the communication. And I was like, I even like North Americans, they would never say that. I mean, like especially Canadians, they would always preface it with something to kind of warm you into the the you know the conversation. So um, they might say something like, "Yeah, you know, I I really thank you for saying that. I just I don't really feel, 
you know, good about this or it could be better. But the Dutch version of it is very like cut out all the all the other um, things and just kind of get to the point. We don't have the time to waste. And that was how he communicated with his workplace. Like I, I used to tell him because we lived in Portugal, you can't write an email like that. You, you, you cannot write to a Portuguese person. I looked at this file and I thought it wasn't done correctly. I was like, that's not how you write or emails. I literally had to train him to, you know, be more socially like, how do you say it? Like emotionally, socially mm -hmm. intelligent, so to speak. Uh, but I think Japanese are, you know, in the workplace, I can imagine it's also very indirect. So that's an interesting point because I've also heard another theory that directness and indirectness can be different when it comes to daily communication and giving feedback, right? For example, if you are at work and if you are uh, working for a Japanese company and you make a mistake, your boss can give you very direct feedback. Oh, you did this wrong. You have to, you know, uh, 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 you have to do in a different way. Whereas maybe in North America, people can be a little more diplomatic about it. Oh, and I really appreciate your work, but maybe it will be better if you do, uh, you do it differently. So Japanese people can be very direct when it comes to uh, giving feedback, and it definitely kind of uh, applies in, because I hire freelancers from different countries, and I actually find it easier sometimes to work with like Asian people because I can give them very direct feedback. This is wrong, this is wrong, do this. And they would be like, okay. But if I sometimes, if I do this, do that to like American or Canadian people, they they get very defensive, right? And they might not take my direct feedback very nicely. Yeah, I think it's also maybe because Japanese are very set on doing a good job and doing it fast and, and being efficient, and they don't have time to waste on the politeness rituals with workers. And as you mentioned, it's a high context culture, right? So your boss is your boss, whereas like in North America, everyone's more or less, I wouldn't say equal, obviously, there's a CEO, but he walks around in running shoes and just hangs out with everyone and is sweet and nice. So I think that's the difference, right? Yeah, that could be one of the reasons for sure. So let's talk about um, some of the kind of peculiar fetishes that Japanese, or at least Tokyo, is well known for. So I don't know if you have any kind of services in mind um, that you know you could tell the audience about. Uh, that might be a little bit surprising. So yeah, that's that's a very interesting point because when it comes to sexual services, we have like a whole range of very specific types of services ranging from like, a, for example, a hostess club where you basically just talk to women to like straight up prostitution. But there's so many things that are in between and it's very uh, uh, compartmentalized. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah, it can be very specific. You you, 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 you you hire somebody for a very specific purpose. It's so interesting because, okay, so in our, the rest of the world, you, you hire a prostitute, right? And that's like a sexual need and okay. 
But in Japan, what I find interesting is that a lot of these services have absolutely nothing to do with sex. They just have to do with human connection. So like there's one that I've heard about where someone just cleans your ears. Like you go and this girl cleans your ears. There's um, some other cafes where you just go to spend time with each other, right? Like cuddling cafes, they're called. And yeah. a lot of these are just not sexual at all, right? So I have a very interesting story about a cuddling cafe. Because a few years ago, like everybody talked about how it's, it's, it's weird to have a cuddling cafe in Japan. And you've probably seen one of the like Facebook posts, Twitter, you know, tweets and things about cuddling cafe or an article. So one time I thought, well, yeah, everybody was talking about cuddling cafe, but like, what are they really like? I wanted to try one on my own. So I searched for it and it turned out that we actually don't have many cuddling cafes. We like, I think I found only two in Tokyo and both of them were in Akihabara, which is like an anime district in Japan. So I picked one, I went there and I paid like 5,000 yen maybe, which is about like $40, 30 or $40. And I experienced it. So the place wasn't really that big, but it's like, it's like it was a flat floor, but they have like, you say partitions, mm -hmm. so they have like a semi-private, they have semi-private rooms, but they're not like a complete rooms. They just, you know, you have like temporary walls. So you go inside. So first of all, if you go there, you have, you have to pick a girl, but you can only pick one based on photos. So you have a bunch of photos. So you pick one, you pay and you go inside the room and the girl comes and I thought it would be literally like cuddling just in the sleeping side by side but it turns out it was more like talking to the girl while you're just in the line down uh, lying down so it was more like a variation of a horse club when you talk to a girl but instead of like uh doing that in a like a flashy place you have very you have a private room and it's very relaxed because you're lying down so that's really the concept of a, a cuddle cafe apparently and, and what is what does she do when you're talking to her does she just reply? just talking just, just talking. talking yeah yeah just, just 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 having normal conversation and why do you think like these kind of cafes are i mean this one is semi-popular because there's only two in tokyo but why in general? Why build that kind of cafe for people to just lie together and talk to each other? So we have actually, again, different types of services where you can talk to a girl or a guy. So the most common one is a hostess club or host club where you go there. It's more like, it's more like a bar or like a, a club where you can talk to girls. And we also have a lightweight version of that, which is called a, uh, a girl's bar or boy's bar, which means you can only talk to, it's like you're talking to bartenders. But it's so, interesting that, yeah, it's just like, it's just talking, right? That's all it is. It's just having someone to talk yeah. to, mm -hmm. which makes me think that 
there's a lot of people battling with loneliness and that's just like a person that they need to open up to. Yeah. 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 That's definitely true. Uh, again, uh, a lot of people, especially people in Tokyo are uncomfortable with talking to strangers. And so kind of makes sense to pay. Uh, another aspect is it's just an easy way to talk to a cute girl. Because if you want to do that in real life, well, you have to find a girl who wants to talk to you. And it, it can take time and money. But if you just pay like, you know, 50 bucks, 30 bucks, you can just talk to a very cute girl who is willing to listen to you and laugh, you know, because you're paying them. So kind of like the easy, like mood boost, um, something like that. Yeah, I guess it all stems from geishas as well, right? Like historically, that's what a geisha would do is part of it was listening and talking. And But for me, that's so interesting that it's so hard to open up to a stranger, but to pay someone money and then know that they're the only reason they're there is because you paid them. And the only reason they're laughing and listening is because it's their job. Um, that's also very interesting. Maybe it's, it's the whole idea of like, as you mentioned, like it's also kind of predefined. like they already know why they're there. They don't have to risk anything. There's no risk involved in the process. And I actually thought, oh, it's going to be, it's useless because the only reason they're talking to you is because they're paying you. But I was thinking like that before, like uh, until I tried some of the like uh, host clubs and uh, girls bars. Because even if you know that, you know, uh, they're talking to you because you're paying them, when you feel a bit lonely or maybe when you're having a bad day, like talking to somebody just makes you feel good. It's like counseling. Counselors are talking to you because you're paying them. They're not necessarily interested in you in person, uh, as a person. But if you talk to them, you might actually feel better afterwards. So it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah, and it's statistically been proven that like human interaction is the number one factor in, in happiness. And actually, work is one of the least factors. Um, when they did some studies and they said, like, when you have that social connection, you feel better and you live longer. Um, so it's completely understandable that like a city like Tokyo, I'm sure so many people are so lonely, you know, and it's like because people work so hard and it's just the way the city is built, right? Like it's a big city and there's so many people, but it's hard to find someone to open up to there's a video i watched and i don't know if you know it but there was a guy a japanese guy that uh it was heartbreaking he paid this group of people to organize a birthday party for him and all the this group of people all they do their job essentially is like organizing birthday parties but it's not that they organize the birthday parties that they come there and they pretend to be your friends and <laughs> they take photos with you and they bring like um fruits plastic fruit they don't even buy real food which i found really like what is the sham right but like this poor guy he invited them and all it was just taking photos of his happy time at his party even though these guys were paid actors um have you seen that video i have not but that sounds very sad it's, it was That's like I'm laughing. Sad, you know? I'm laughing, but it was genuinely but, but, like. But it's true. A lot of people have trouble making 
friends, you know, just friends. And I have stumbled upon like a Japanese message board, anonymous one, where where people were complaining how difficult it was for them to make friends. And you know, I was thinking, why don't you make friends with each other, right? Yeah, because exactly. everybody on that messaging message board wanted to make friends, and they were lonely. So why don't they? But the thing is, if they are the kind of like the kind of people who can make friends with people like that, they would have made friends already. Exactly. So that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, I think maybe it's like this fear of the unknown, or it's safer to stay in a bubble and to say, "Okay, I don't have any friends," than to risk. Because you know, you're always with with people. You're always ris risking in a way, right? Like someone's not going to like you or. You risk rejection, so that's why it's easier maybe to get a service like that. And just when you feel super lonely, then you go and do that. Have you done any other um, cafes, or have you well, done? Anything oh, like I have that? another interesting episode. So I used to actually organize dating events in Tokyo, and the one worked really well is actually uh, ones for Japanese guys and non-Japanese Japanese women. It worked well because, like, they basically they were less entitled. For example, I've been to like a Japanese Japanese dating event. It was like a party, and it was very difficult to talk to women there because they have this kind of attitude. Oh, you know, you're supposed to entertain me, and I will judge you. So they're not they're they're not willing to contribute. They're more like a. Uh, your customer, or you know, who wants to be uh, want to be entertained, but yeah, that particular event worked really well because everybody was very friendly and they would they were willing to make an effort to talk to each other. So that worked really well. But it was very sad because when I observe when I was observing other people, you know, how they interact with each other with, with each other, I just realized that. Uh, a lot of Japanese people just don't know how to talk to strangers and make the conversation going. So a typical conversation would be like, "Oh, what's your name? Where you're from? How long have you been in Japan?" End of conversation. Yeah. Like this kind of, and they just don't know how to continue the conversation, even though like everybody is willing to talk to each other. So that was very sad, you know. There's just so much stuff to talk about with strangers, but they just don't know how to, you know, yeah, do that. It's this. It's the social skills, right, that you need, mm -hmm. and it's the. I think it's the fear of appearing a certain way, and I think just many insecurities maybe in their head of how they're looking and how they're sounding, and um, I think obviously like the more social cultures like Latin Americans and Southern Europeans they just they don't overthink and i think maybe the japanese culture is a bit and that's why everything works so well. like everything is so like just oh my god just the the amount of effort that goes into making sure everything works smoothly and but when it comes to this maybe there is some correlation between that and how you know like if you go to latin america nothing runs as smoothly um because they're out socializing <laughs> who knows but yeah, it is really sad because, you know, just that fear of talking to strangers and the fear of saying maybe the wrong thing. And I don't really know what goes on in someone's mind. 
but it starts from childhood, right? It's maybe how your parents brought you up or how uh, schools are, and we don't have time to get into that, but um, yeah. It's also well, just, just a simple uh, lack of practice, because if you grew up in Tokyo, you simply don't have many opportunities to talk to strangers, like complete strangers. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. I think anything like that is a lack of practice because anything you need to master, you need to go out and do it. It's the same with filming, like looking at the camera is uncomfortable uh, when, you know, when you're vlogging, but it's this like the art of doing it and doing it and doing it and looking stupid. And, and it's like, you need to put in that time. So I think, yeah, I think the, the, the Japanese people like you that live abroad, they don't have that issue because they're just constantly out and interacting with people. Uh, whereas if you lived yeah. in Tokyo, maybe you would be not uncomfortable with talking necessarily, but you just, you would get into a bit of that routine of just, uh, you go to work and you come home at night and you watch TV and go to sleep and you don't really interact that way, right? Your day is mm -hmm. very much work driven. It's also like uh, different regions. We have different regions in Japan. And for example, if you go to Osaka, people are much more sociable. It's much easier to talk to strangers. If you go to a bar in Osaka, they might actually start conversations with you. And you can actually talk to people normally. So yeah. Tokyo okay. is just a especially kind of antisocial, even by Japanese standards. So other places in places in Japan things can be much, much better in terms of uh, communication, communicating with strangers. Okay. Well, Thank you so much for doing this very informal chat uh, with me. I don't want to call it an interview because I just feel like it was a really interesting conversation. And uh, for anyone that wants to check out Yuta's channel, it's That Japanese Man Yuta. Um, he does a lot of videos and I think Japanese language, especially now yeah. nowadays, but also just anything that you want to know about the Japanese culture. And his Instagram is here if you're watching the video. And if you're not, I'm going to link to it below. So you can go and check him out. Thanks for, for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay. And uh, maybe I'll see you soon in another part of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it could be anywhere, you know. <laughs> anywhere you know. in the world. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. -bye. Okay, bye.